right, welcome to the Curry Archives. This is episode one. Uh, the uh, Curry family's got a legacy in many different directions with off-road, on-road, you name it, Jeeps, everything. So I wanted to basically skip my uncles and my dad to start telling stories. Everywhere we go, people are always asking questions. People always want to hear the stories. I want to start documenting everything that you know they've been through in their life, all the good times, the bad times, the successful times, the unsuccessful times. And really, I've just taken some things that I've learned, and I want to start documenting what's going on. So I got my dad, Ray, and my Uncle John with me tonight. We are actually in Moab, Utah uh, at Easter Jeep Safaris 2023. Uh, the event is getting bigger and bigger. I've been coming for... 20 years, maybe longer, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. So, what I want to do tonight, uh, we're gonna we're gonna start from the beginning with both you guys. Is what I want to do is in motorsports, obviously around racing and everything we have going on with Curry Enterprises and Rock Chalk. Is I want to start from the beginning, you know, with you being older, John, Uncle John. What was the beginning of basically Curry? For me, it's Curry Enterprises, motorcycle racing, and everything as far as when did you think that you were going to be into motorsports rather than baseball or a, a scientist or something else? When did I think that? Uh, <laughs> my dad wasn't going to take us to the Boy Scouts <laughs> or play any, you know, any sports. You know, it was, you know, he was working too hard at that time. So anything we did was usually was more like, here, here's a pile of wood. Here's some nails. You know, here's a hammer. Go out and make something out of that. And most of the time, we were bending the nails and straightening them out and putting them back in the wood again. So that's kind of one of the earliest memories I have of, of doing stuff, you know, or my dad telling us to do stuff, you know. Because uh, when we were younger, my dad worked a lot. I mean, you know, when you guys knew him, I mean, he wasn't working as much. But we had a little house in, uh, in Anaheim uh, off of Euclid. And he had, I don't know, maybe we're on an acre or something. It was small. And he, he had a yard behind the house, and he had like a, like a two-car garage. And he had his machine shop set up in there. And he would do, like, engine swaps for people and stuff like that. And, and then when he was working at Taylor Dunn Manufacturing, he made a deal with the old man Taylor to supply rims for golf carts. And so he would do that after work. He would work his eight hours a day at Taylor Dunn Manufacturing, and then he would come home and work at night on that stuff. So there was, you know, growing up, I remember, and my mom would help my dad as well. When they loaded the truck, my mom would be out there, you know, loading stuff. And, you know, um, you know these are the earliest memories I actually have of my dad working. As far as the motorsports deal, you know, I remember growing up, my dad would, like every, I think it was Friday nights, we'd go to the sprint car race at, at Ascot. So me and Charlie and um, probably Ray, my little brother not so much because he was the youngest one. I just remember running around down by the fence where the clay would shoot up over the fence and we'd collect the clay and make you know these clay balls out of clay at the sprint car races at Ascot on Friday nights. We looked forward to being there. That was you know, the thing. My dad knew Bobby Hogel was kind of the local guy from the racetrack. So that was, you know, kind of a big deal. So as far as, you know, that's concerned, my earliest memories of getting involved in motorsports was sprint car racing. Did he actually, was he involved or did he, was he just a fan? He, he was, but very limited. He actually drove because Bobby Hogel wasn't old enough. <laughs> so he would actually drive Bobby Hogel's car. This was back in the early, early days, and that's probably before my time. But he said, "Yeah, I, I, I got to drive a few times because Bobby wasn't, you know, Bobby Hogel at the time wasn't old enough to drive the car, so he did. So, and I don't know exactly how he was, you know, befriended of Bobby Hogel, but he had some other friends, you know, that they were, you know, you know, hung out there in the Anaheim area, and Bobby Hogel was sponsored by it was the Tamale Wagon." So he's, he was sponsored by Alex Tamales. Well, Alex Tamales was right in, I believe it's in Anaheim or Fullerton. Anaheim. So that was kind of the local thing. Alex Tamales always had like the hottest car, best looking car, best sounding car. Like my dad said, they'd go to the races. Their car would actually idle. You know, <laughs> most other cars wouldn't, you know, they didn't run that good. So 
So that was kind of the, the early days of motorsports as far as being involved with my dad. Same, uh, same is that? Yeah, well, I mean, the sprint car deal, I mean, you know, my mom went into labor with me at Ascot. <laughs> and I remember, you know, my mom telling me, yeah, dad wouldn't leave until after the main was over. And we had to, you know, rush down to the, you know, we parked, we, we didn't pay whatever 50 cents to park in the parking lot. We parked in the housing tracks and, and they, you know, had to run back to where they had parked and raced back to Anaheim to the hospital for me to be born after a sprint car race, you know, on July 31st, 1960. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, you know, even then, you know, I remember going to the uh, sprint car races, even after we moved from Anaheim out to uh, Yorba Linda, we were going to the sprint car races on Friday nights. It was just, it was a standard deal. It was like brushing your teeth when you went to bed. We went to the races on Friday night. That was it. And, and, and you know, I remember a little bit more because, um, you know, my dad, the Bobby Hogle and, and the racers, you know, my dad, you know, he was into it. He, he didn't have the money to race, but he helped those guys, you know, at home before they went to the track. And, um, you know, and we would go, go there to watch the results of whatever they were working on to try to make the cars faster. But, you know, you know those were, you know, bizarre times back in the day. When you think back, it's, that was a long ways from Anaheim to go all the way to the end of the 91 freeway to, to watch those races. And, and, you know, we were all dead asleep coming back, you know, in the back of the station wagon or whatever. So at, at, that, at that time, was, he, was Curry Enterprise even a thought or was that just him working at Taylor Dunn? Well, or was that before he, Taylor Dunn? Well, he was working full-time at Taylor Dunn, and, you know, he had people working for him at home, dis, you know, disassembling, buying rims, disassembling rims, and, uh, you know, they he would load the truck, you know, uh, at night, and then my mom would drive it to Taylor Dunn during that day and make the delivery. You know, he had a Dodge flatbed truck, yeah. and, and, you know, she would make the delivery during the day. You know, she... My mom worked there first. They met at Taylor Dunn, but after they had kids, she stayed home. So she was basically running Curry Enterprises while he was at Taylor Dunn. So that so they actually met in California then. Yeah. Yep. So Grandpa was born in California, and yep. Grandma was born in West Virginia. Yep. And so when the day my mom graduated high school, she hopped on a bus to go to Los Angeles. And uh, she got anxious. They never made it to Los Angeles. She got anxious and got off the bus in Anaheim, California. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, got a job at Taylor Dunn. And, uh, you know, she was basically their first employee after Taylor and Dunn. And then sometime after that, my dad went to work there. That's where they met. So now as far as Taylor Dunn goes, is it like – is like how how did Curry become a, that like you know as far as everyone understanding like where did Curry come from then as far you know when people think of Curry Enterprise it's always muscle car rims hot rod rims Jeep off road but like where did where did Curry Enterprise come from what, what was well, it? Do you want? It, well, well, go ahead. So, um, Taylor Dunn was a was a fab shop, and they they folded uh, chicken wire and made chicken coops. You know there was between. Los Angeles and Orange County, there was a huge area out in the middle of there, La Habra, that was all chicken coops. And, you know, at some point, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Taylor came to my dad and asked them, they were, the chicken farmers were using um, gas-powered vehicles to collect the eggs. And they would put a water hose on the tailpipe, but just the noise from the engines would reduce the number of eggs that the chickens would lay. And, and... You know, they came and asked my dad, hey, can you build an electric car? And you know, my dad was, you know, MacGyver before there was MacGyver. Yeah, he, he was an Air Force, you know. I mean, he was probably a mechanic before he went in the Air Force. But actually in the Air Force, he became, you know, a jet mechanic. And then he taught jet mechanics in the Air Force. So when he was working at Taylor Dunn was after he'd gotten out of the Air Which, Force. And how long was he in the Air Force? Uh, just four, four years. years. He was in Korea. Yeah, he so. went to... Texas, Oklahoma, Korea, came back, and then they sent him to school because you know, they're going to put him out, you know, back into the public. But he, there was no jet airplanes at that time; only the military had jets. So they 
he went to diesel mechanics school in Chicago, and then and it, you know, came back with a you know with a you know, skill basically that he I don't know that he ever really used. You um, I think he worked as a diesel mechanic for like in the oil fields for a short period of time and realized really quick <laughs> that that's not what he wanted to do. <laughs> he worked at a couple places. I think he worked for the telephone company. And he said he actually liked the job, but he would get so much work done that the other people at the telephone company didn't like him because he would, he would, he didn't smoke. You know, he would go down in a hole and start putting telephone wires together. And normally these jobs would take like two days to do them. And, you know, he would get them done in a day. Well, it made the other people working there look bad because he's getting so much work done. So they despised him. He ended up leaving. He goes, yeah, I, you know, you know, I, you know, since I didn't smoke or anything, and back, you, you got to remember, this is back in the early '50s, you know, when this was yeah. happening. That, and he just, so he goes, yeah, you know, I, you know, I like the job, but the, I, the, um, his supervisor told him that, yeah, you work too hard, and, and he ended up leaving. Yeah. So, so um, you know, I, you know, heard a story from my dad that, you know. He was looking for a job, and he went to Taylor Dunn, and when he went there, he was looking at all the tools they had. They had, you know, grinders and drill presses and, you know, lathes and welders. And when he took the job, he was like, well, I can, I can use all this stuff for my own <laughs> benefit, right? <laughs> so he was, he was working there, but also, you know, uh, became friends with the owners and was, you know, using their stuff. But when they came to him and said, hey, can you, you know, in 1954 – can you build an electric car, you know, for collecting eggs? Of course, he said, yeah, you know, and they went, you know, they went to the farms and seen what they were doing, and they came back and they built a, you know, an egg picker, you know, this this vehicle that um, had a treadle, you know, it, it, you know, you leaned forward and it went forward, and you you leaned back and it stopped, and uh, you if you leaned to the left, it turned left. It had a a had tiller a, that had went a between tiller went between your legs. Between your legs. So you actually so steered it. You know, you would just stand up, so both your hands are free. So you'd lean forward, you'd go forward. Oh, so you would uh, actually so you just both yeah. like hands. push down on your toes or push on your heels, more like that. And then the tiller went between your legs. You would steer it like that. Yeah. And a lot of them were just they were super simple. They were three wheels, uh, uh, you know, one wheel in the front, two wheels in the back. A lot of them, the, the early ones were like one wheel drives. They just had like a chain drive off their electric motor. And as time went on, he was working at Taylor Dunn, he designed the first, like, golf cart uh, for Taylor Dunn. And that's when, that's when Curry, or Curry Enterprises started. Um, they were, when he designed it, he took a, a early Ford Banjo-style rear end and narrowed it down because they wanted a differential in this car to have both rear wheels drive. So he, he took early Ford Banjo-style rear end and, and narrowed it and he designed that car. Well, at first, Taylor Dunn was going out and buying the rims and, and doing all that work. And then, you know, it was just a big deal to them and a big hassle you know, to buy the rear ends and to tear them down and clean them and whatever. And then he contracted with Taylor Dunn to supply the rims to Taylor Dunn. And he did it. You know, I, I remember him. I don't remember people working there. But now that you're talking about it, I think one of my mom's cousins from West Virginia had moved out there, Paul Burnside. And Paul Burnside, my dad hired Paul to come over and tear down Wren's, you know. And Paul was like, he was like a janitor at a school or something. So he would he would come and tear down Wren's on his off time or, you know. you know. So now how old were you guys when all this was going? Are you even born yet? Or? I, well, that, that, it started, Curry Enterprise started in 59. I was born in 60. Yeah, I oh. was born in 57. So, okay, yeah, so yeah, I, okay, so I was <laughs> two years old. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know what was going on. So, he, so, Grandpa had, so when he brought his cousin out, or Grandma's cousin. My mom's cousin, cousin yeah. yeah. And it, that was, so you guys, so Grandpa was doing the side hustle then from a, I, oh, yeah. I was thinking you guys were a little bit older. My, he was always, my dad always was doing the side hustle. When he was, he was doing V8 conversions for people and, you know, Model A's and stuff like that. So that, I mean, that was going on for a long time. He was a hot rodder. He was a Southern California hot rodder, you know, you know. So did he always have a hot rod then? I don't know if he always had a hot rod. You know, he would build certain hot rods, you know. Um, 
you know, the, he's got some pictures of some, he had some stuff when he was in the service in Texas and stuff. He had like a Model T with a, a what kind of, it had a front neck, a it front had, neck engine in it. Model T but, with an overhead valve engine, yeah. or head, overhead valve head on it. Yeah, we have some pictures of this stuff, but it's not like a hot rod you're thinking it's all pretty. No, this is a bunch of junk thrown together. <laughs> it's, yeah. I wouldn't even call it a rat rod. Yeah. It's not. It, it wouldn't even be at the level of a rat rod. It was literally just like a dirt track car, you know, something they could go out and, you know, do run donuts out run in, through uh, the orange groves. fields and, and run down <laughs> dirt roads. And then, well, he had the that you know he had that Model T with that front neck, and then there was a a Model A with a like a a 32 shell on it. I have some pictures of. Uh, with like a nice slant windshield in it. And then one of the ones that we remember though, he had a Model A pickup with a, a Hemi in it. And, and you know, and one of the reasons we remember that is because a good friend of ours, his uncle, you know, uh, and I didn't know this friend of ours at the time, but uh, my dad had sold that Model A pickup to a school teacher in, in Buena Park or Anaheim, I think at Western High School. And that guy's name was Dick Hoffman. So, and he still has that Model A pickup today. What year was it? That was back. What it year, been, what, no, what was your truck? It was a, it was a 1930 Model A pickup. And he'd gotten the engine. When he went to diesel school in Chicago, he had found a wrecked Chrysler, whatever they were. 300. And he got the engine out of it and brought it back to California. <laughs> And, and then he took that engine, and he had this nice Model A pickup and put it in this Model A pickup. And this was probably in about the year, like, 56 or 57. My Our oldest brother was born in 55. 55. So, so he had this nice Model A pickup. It was all painted. It had this Chrysler Hemi in it. Uh, this friend of his, uh, Dick Hoffman, wanted the pickup. And, you know, so, you know. That's, you know, one of the, you know, big hot rides I remember back in the day, you know, you know, most of the time when we were growing up as kids, he just worked all the time and, and you know, he got, um, but anyways, the, the story of that pickup goes along is that school teacher is now in his nineties, 94, and he still has that Model A pickup, but he's, wow. Uh, so That's we're all kind of watching, yeah. you, know, you know, how many more years can, you know, Dick, you know, go before we could actually try to buy that Model A pickup back. <laughs> so <laughs> is it, does it still run? No, he took the, he took it apart back in the, I think in the late fifties, he took the pickup apart. He has the engine out of it and the floorboards off of it. And it's, it, he still has like the engine sitting there on an engine stand, the engine's painted yellow. I think he had some different high performance parts for the engine and the floorboards, he had the running boards chrome-plated, but he never put it back together. It's in pieces. It's all in there, though. It's all there. Now, he lives in Yorba Linda yeah. now. Wow. So one of these days, we might we that's, might actually get that back. That's I don't know. Cool. But that, that <laughs> is probably one of the early hot rods I remember that he had. I remember growing up, like, um, he would have these MGs, like an MGTD, and and me and my brother would get in the back of it. It doesn't really have a back seat. It has where the, like the fold-down top goes or the, the, the convertible top convertible top would fold down. And we'd crawl, and we'd be standing up in the back seat, and we'd be driving this, this MG around town. You know, I, you know, that's one of the memories I have you know, back in the early days. Yeah, he did V8 conversions on those. They took yeah. Ford V860s and put them in MGTDs. So, so they, they go from like, 25 horsepower to 60 horsepower <laughs> it's double <laughs> it's, that's wild so so then it, when at what like obviously you being born in 1960 1960 or 1957 as far as when so when you're younger so grandpa worked a, a ton and always was working which up and obviously when he, he retired in 1983 when i was born um but up and when you were born as uh, or excuse me when you guys were getting old enough at what point did you guys become enough to understand what you're doing to start working just even in general, like as far as on, on your own hobbies, as far as in, in the shop, whether it be dirt bikes or cars or golf carts and stuff like that is souping them up. Was it always, was it always around or was it at some point grandma wanted you to play baseball? No, that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I remember, you know, when we, he, we actually started working or me and 
my older brother, because me and my older brother were in the same grade. You know, my brother, my brother, I caught up with my brother, just put it that <laughs> way. And so we ended up in the same grade. When we were in like fifth and sixth grade, we were in the same grade, I think, from about fourth or fifth grade all the way up. So my dad had told us if we worked during the summer that he would buy us a motorcycle at the end of summer. And this was between fifth and sixth grade. So me and my brother, Charlie, now Ray was younger, so yeah. he, may, he was probably not involved in that. But we were old enough that like a nine-inch Ford third member, which weighs like 80 pounds, I could, with both arms, I could lift it, you know, up to my knees. <laughs> you know, that, you know. So, and that's kind of when we got started in working for my dad, you know, you know, or working for Curry Enterprises, you know, and that would have been, like I said, when we were in like fifth grade. Now, at that point right there, it was, was there employee, like, how many employees did Grandpa have on the, obviously it was a side hustle because he still worked at Taylor yeah. Dunn, but he, did he actually have employees then? He had, yeah, he had employees. We, that Paul Burnside worked there for a while. And another uh, guy was um, uh, Skip Rudolph. And Skip. Which who still works for you today. Skip works for, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, he's 80 something years old, has, has a, you know, defibrillator. And, you know, but he actually came, he had just, uh, got out of the Vietnam War and was dating a friend of the family. And and uh, my dad got him a job at Taylor Dunn Manufacturing. Well, you know, and then he would work at Curry in the evening. And it would, the you know, if I had, when I was doing my algebra homework, I had a question, I'd just go out, you know, I'd, I'd walk out there, you know, Skip would be working in, you know, on the, on the rack, you know, all greasy, and I'd, hey, I got a question about this algebra. <laughs> Can you help me with it? And he would look, oh, yeah, you know, this, that, you know. You know, I remember that distinctly. And then Skip went on to become like the CEO or the CFO. Vice president. Vice president of Taylor Dunn at one point. Well, it's funny about that, like on my story, is that, you know, one of the guys that works for Curry now uh, worked for Taylor Dunn as an engineer. But one thing that, like, he said about Taylor Dunn and all the people that work there is the way that Taylor – and then ran it that like the organization and the way that they did it like there's so many skill sets that they put in place that even skip talking to skip as now we're older that he he had so much respect for everything that like taylor don and grandpa and grandma the things that were done in the early you know early 60s how how important it was for them at, at their younger or older days because it is impressive like how there's certain companies out there that did such a well job and right. the way they ran the business. Like, and Skip, his stories are phenomenal, like with the things that he was taught from, you know, Taylor Dunn and from Grandpa, like running, you know, yeah. obviously at working at Curry well, Enterprise. They had a lot of experience there. Not only they were getting that experience from the owners of the company, you know, my dad at one point had 300 people working underneath him. Oh, it was that big? He was, yeah. Oh he was a production manager. They were building 800 golf carts a month. Wow. I didn't, so I didn't realize it was that big. Take the scale of that, you know. You know, you know Curry Enterprises is yeah. still a small company, but imagine you're a production manager and you have 300 people that work in on a production line. I did not. So you Grandpa know. was managing a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was a big deal. So, I mean, then, it, 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 they were delivering 50 brands a day, six days a week. Yeah. So you're wow. so it got so busy, you know. At the end, he he had I think it was in the what was it early '80s. He had to leave because he he had to go full time to find enough rents to supply them, and that's why that's why he actually left. It wasn't that you know he needed to work full time at just the curry part of it to supply them, and that went on until you know basically until you know, Yamaha and the Japanese kind of killed the golf cart market. And our, we were selling 800 rooms a month down to 400. Wow. Well, that was basically the time that we were graduating from high school. And that was the time that, you know, that gave us enough time to get into automotive aftermarket. So, so yeah. that was kind of the new era. That's where everything changed. You go, hey, we're only doing half as much. So what do you have? Now we got extra time. Let's do something else. We got in, you know, we started getting into automotive. So which that's where it leads. And that's something I, you know, like as of recent, obviously, like when you start looking at the dates, you know, like everyone, you know, grandpa always did Curry Enterprises. But it, it seems like when when the muscle car and hot rod became popular and even the Jeep side of it became more popular was in the early 80s. And like it, it's now 
understanding what he did and how hard he worked. But the transition is, is the fact that you guys, you, you know, the three of you guys really is what took Curry to make it into the automotive side of it. And grandpa didn't do so much of the muscle car side and, and the hot rod side. Yep. And that kind of came after my dad actually pretty much fully retired in 85. And that's when we moved from placentia into the building in, in in Anaheim. When we moved in that building, he says, hey, this is yours. You know, whatever you guys to do with it. He goes, and pretty much he goes, yeah, I don't really have anything invested in it. You know, I never thought it was going to make any money, so I never put any money in it. You know, I, you know, everything I did, you know, you know, uh, every, every penny I made was, you know, you know, it was, you know, if I spent a penny, I was going to get two back. You know, that's the way every, that's the way he did everything. Yeah. So, so we we actually started putting you know investing in it because it was our future. Yeah, and that well that and that's what like I've been telling my dad that more than ever it's like understanding the time frame is that how how did you guys know to start building hot rod rooms? How what was making hot rod and muscle cars popular? Like how well, did you even it know was, it wasn't it, you know supply and demand? We didn't we didn't know there was demand, but we had mountains of nine inch four rims right. in the backyard. And, and people saw them and would come up the driveway. Hey, I need a rear end for my whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, I was still in school. I was, I actually had a rear end business that I was running on the side. And oh, really? I was selling rear ends to, uh, uh, to SoCal pickups in Buena Park. Uh, I had like a 50, they, they did 53 to 56 Ford pickup. So like a 57 pickup we're in nine inch bolted into those cars directly. So I was selling, I think it's 57 to 59 Ford Renz. I would, you know, get those Renz out of the pile. You know, they didn't, you know, and then I would just clean them up, you know, you know, didn't rebuild anything. It all had used bearings <laughs> in. All I did was clean them up and, uh, and put a gasket in it and I'd sell it to the guys over there. And then uh, there was a couple hot rod shops in TCI, and then wait, so, so TCI has been around been oh a yeah. customer oh that yeah. long. Yeah, so I was wow. sell, I was selling stuff to them, you know, and that's because when I when in the earlier days Charlie was out on the road buying rins, and I was in the shop running the machine shop and doing everything in the shop, and then Raymond I think was still in school, so he wasn't really involved. So so I had. You know, I would run Curry, but I had my my side hustle was building <laughs> ends. So I had these companies, and then and then when the 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 uh, golf cart thing kind of happened, it was like, well, let's incorporate the rear end, and it it, it kind of just the timing was good. The nine inch run was super popular for hot rods. Um, there was V eight Vegas, V eight mini trucks. Uh, the Jeep thing actually kind of started later because we were building rents for vegas and mini trucks and model a's and you know all that stuff and then you know but our our passion and our hobby was off-road stuff you know with you know with dune buggies and motorcycles my dad got us involved in motorcycle racing back where you know like in junior high school and and stuff like that so we had this off-road uh you know we you know if you're in southern california you're into off-road. That's just what it is. <laughs> uh, and we changed. were we were into off-road. It was it was buggies, sand buggies. It was jeeps, um, you know, motorcycles, you know, and then you know it just kind of evolved to, you know, hey, let's build some ruins that fit in jeeps, and that that kind of started us down another road, of you know, under the off-road market. You know? So now, and now before we get into that though, like as far as okay, so let's start with you, Dad. As far how many jobs you've ever had? Well, I'm the only one that ever worked <laughs> somewhere else. I, you know, um, they graduated in '75. I gra- yeah, me and, and Charlie and, graduated in '75. And they both went right, straight to work for my dad. We're working all, all the time. I didn't graduate high school till '78, and then I kept I kept going to school for another four years after that. And you know, I was l- working for my dad for piecework. You know, doing other stuff. I was I was rebuilding forklifts on the side. I would run, do machine work for piecework, and I was, you know, still racing motorcycles at the time. I was the captain of the high school motocross team, and uh, <laughs> cool. you know, took took money. You know, yeah. so, you know, came home from school every day and did something, you know, you know, for 
you know, pennies. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, and that's how we worked in the early days. We worked for piecework. We didn't, he didn't pay us by the hour. We got paid by the part. So yeah. if you're machining a part, it was all manual machines. You, it was, you know, you might get 25 cents for, you know, and if you worked hard, you could make seven or eight dollars an hour, but you had to, you had to break your ass to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Then, but, if, then you got yeah. smart. You could run two or three machines at one time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so, you know, they've, they were seven years ahead of me as far as, you know, working full time and, and, you know, having things. But, uh, that, you know, and the, you know, the end of the deal when, you know, he had a side hustle, Charlie buying, he was in every wrecking yard in Southern California on a daily basis. And he, he had a side hustle of buying parts for other companies. Um, you know, so in 82, when I, you know, I got out of, I finished school and decided to get married about the same time. And, um, but by that time I had worked for Taylor Dunn. Um, when I first got my driver's license, I went there and worked in the service department just for a summer, just, you know, just, you know, my dad worked there. My mom worked there. I thought somehow I thought I was going to work there. That's what, you know, that was just destiny. I thought, <laughs> well, he was going to become a cobbler at one point. <laughs> yeah. But my dad yeah. set him up in a shoe store. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So, but I did, I, I went to Taylor Dunn and worked in the service department and had a similar situation where, you know, all I, you know, everything I'd ever done was on piecework. And we were you know, in the service department. We were, you know, we get like a truckload of cars back from, you know, used vehicles from a, from a golf course. And you had to rebuild the car, you know, change the batteries, you know, put new brushes in the motor, whatever it was mount new tires and you know i would just you know, buckle down and all the other guys working there you know older guys than me they're telling me hey you can't you can't do three of these a day we only do two a day and you know that's the standard here blah 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 and uh you know you know i left there and then i forgot about the shoe deal i've <laughs> I mean, my 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 dad's sister and her husband owned a shoe company and Ray and was always dad's favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. me and Charlie weren't the we were uh, workers. They, uh. um, you know, the, uh, the, my uncle Larry had passed away from, you know, cancer yeah, or something. Some kind of cancer. Yeah. And, uh, she wanted to sell the shoe company. It was, it was a profitable deal and like an all cash business. And my dad said, Hey, you know, you're going to school with a, you know, for, with, you know, for business and, and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you see if you can run the shoe company? So I spent a whole summer. Um, they had a shoe plant and they had like six stores around, you know, uh, you know, you know, Newport beach and An Balboa. An Anthony's shoe stores. An and I think the original store is still in, uh, um, Corona, Corona Del Mar. The sign is still there. It has like a boot, like a lady's yeah. boot. And it was oh. my uncle. It was my uncle. It was Tony, uncle. Yeah. Know, but you know his. You know it's Anthony Shoe Store, and uh, and you know, I mean this, this was a serious business. You think it was just oh a shoe store? You come in? No, they were taking in shoes and repairing them and dyeing them and you know matching their you know, ladies bring in their wedding dresses and the prom dresses and they mat they, they dye, dye the, the shoes. shoes to match the these wedding dresses and. And, you know, I'm still going to school full-time, you know, pulling 14 units or something at school, and then I'm going straight down to there and, and learning about this shoe business deal going on. And, you know, it's just, it's just a business. And, you know, after being there for about three or four months, she decided, you know, no, I'm not going to sell. Yeah, well, through she figured out after her husband died they were actually making a lot more money than they knew of. Oh, no way. <laughs> That's what happened. Well, they, uh, they honestly think that he had money stashed somewhere, but they've never been able to find yeah. it because. So, and I, and, you know, I had taken some basic accounting classes and we're going through the books and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's just not right. You know? <laughs> but, you know, I'm a, you know, whatever, 20-year-old snot-nosed kid. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, this doesn't really add up. But, you know, so, but right after that, um, and you know, I was studying engineering, and uh, I got an apprenticeship at Taylor Dunn and went back to work at, at Taylor Dunn. And, uh, and and this was when you know I'd been taking drafting since the seventh grade, you know, math, science, you know, ma you know anything to do with engineering. Um, and 
sitting in a cubicle and you know putting lines on paper and then sending my prints out to manufacturing and then having to go out and explain the print to the manufacturer you know, to the guys building this stuff and basically like teaching them how to weld how to set up the <laughs> welder it was so aggravating to to be in a position you know that you know i'm there and you know, I want to do the whole deal. I want to design <laughs> it and build it and, and see it work. And uh, um, it was just a really frustrating deal. And and you know the whole cubicle deal and sitting there and and you know just working. You know I'd come to work in dark and leave. It was dark. <laughs> and uh, I was gaining weight like crazy. <laughs> and still going to school. Pull, still pulling fourteen units at the same time. And you know I, I came away from there. It's like. Yeah, I'm not going to be an engineer. <laughs> I, I, you know, um, that's when I went back and took, you know, small business management, you know, business, you know, small business law, blah blah blah, and and started over from scratch. And you know, that's why I went to junior college for four years because I, I, I did two different, you know, uh, to learn lines the basics. of study. Yeah, but I got it. I got everything out of it that that I wanted, and uh, did very little of the stuff that wasn't going to benefit me and i think a lot of that stuff paid off in the long run that's cool and then you but, never so you basically had your side hustle and then just worked at Kerr. and then yeah. charlie was the same I way mean, i went to school for a while not i mean i wasn't as committed to it you know you know um but my it was different because it was more like my dad was asking me how many hours are you get can you work it wasn't like hey you need to go to school when my kids you, you know, we've basically said, you need to go to school. Anything else you make on the side, you know, that's yeah. different. You have to go to school. Well, my dad, when when me and Charlie was, hey, yeah, can you commit to 40 hours a week? You know, you know, I don't care about your school. If you want to go to school, yeah, I'll pay for it, you know. But it was, you know, I would rather have you working. Now, as far as, as, so it was, now as, far as a little as it, different story. As far as the work ethic goes, though, like, and the only reason I want to say this so everyone knows, like, he obviously cares about what he puts out there to the public. And, and but at the time that he, you guys started taking over, like doing the muscle car stuff and getting into do, like even the Harvard stuff, it, at what point did the performance side of it matter where people actually cared the, of the quality of the product rather than just getting something to bolt in? It, it was a I mean, I mean, Taylor Dunn for a long time was the main the main thing. But you realize when you're working for a company, you have one big customer. They have a lot of control over what you're doing. Yeah. So the, one of the things about starting, you know, the automotive aftermarket thing was like diversifying. We don't have one customer anymore. We're selling, we're selling to all these hot rod shops. And not only that, we're selling direct to the public. And we're trying to figure it out. I mean, we were selling stuff. Li we were literally almost giving it away, you know. It, you know, so... Because it was actually, we had so much of it, it was cheap. Now, so, were you selling all over the United States? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a whole story that's, you know, we were working along and, and you know, cultivating the stuff. By the time I came to work there, Charlie had stuff going, and we incorporated that into the business, the, you know, bulk, uh, Vega steering gears, Corvair steering gears, all these little side businesses that were going on. And he had... You know, this, the we're in business with the hot rod companies, and then there was Taylor Dunn and and uh, Marketeer or whatever they called it at that time. Yeah, there's a couple little companies. Uh, co we, a made, couple, a couple we made we made gears and sprockets for people because we had all the machinery to do that, and uh, we actually made our own drive that uh, electric car drive. So we would make the whole rear and then sell it to some of the companies. Yeah. We would actually build that. I think you were the one that actually built those. Yeah. For a while. Oh, is that the thing with the? Uh, it has, has like chain, an electric a, motor, an enclosed chain drive, enclosed chain drive, and it was every piece was like fabricated. It was a lot of pieces to put this thing together, like the the chain case all bolted together with gaskets. My dad had designed it all, and it was kind of designed after some of the stuff he had done for Taylor Dunn earlier. But it, you know, it, you know, like they made an aluminum chain cover, and he had, you know, like um, two pieces of flame cut steel with a steel band that he made a fixture to bend the steel band and you would bend the steel band, weld it together. And it would all bolt together with, I don't know, maybe 20 bolts that went around the whole thing with the gaskets. And 
So, I mean, it worked the same way. Yeah. They there sold was, there a was lot no laser it. cutters on that day. No, yeah. yeah it was, you, everything you was hand-fabricated. You got the basic shape from a flame cutter and yeah. it had drill fixtures and to we, drill all the holes. And, you, and we offered different uh, gear ratios and stuff. And then it had, like, a drum brake, not on the wheels. The brake was actually on the, uh, uh, on the pinion, which they, oh, yeah. later they outlawed that stuff. So, yeah. huh. so now, all right, so now with all the car stuff, like, just – the evolution of going in to Rock Chalk, like, how, how did you go from Curry Enterprises to Rock Chalk? Well, first, the the retail side of the business, and this was kind of a great side story. So this hippie guy comes walking up the driveway one day, and, uh, you know, he says he's in the magazine business. And, you know, he wants a, he wants a car for his rear end, or a rear end for his car, and he wants to trade us advertising. And, you know... You know, he talks to my dad, and, you know, we're working away. And, you know, my dad comes back and tells, yeah, this guy, you know, he wanted to, you know, trade, you know, give us, we wanted us to give him a rear end, you know, just to trade for an ad out of the magazine. It's like, well, what, what's what's that ad worth? <laughs> Didn't ask him. You know, so, you know, I start researching, and there's no internet. You know, this is, you know, back in the day. So I you know, what magazine was it? And it was Street Rotter magazine or something yeah. like that. Tom McMullen from yeah. Street Rotter magazine. So I went, we went down and bought some, uh, you know, Street Rotter you know, magazine. We're looking through, looking through the ads and stuff and, you know, start making some calls. What, you know, what does it cost to put an ad in here? And it's like, holy crap. You know, the, the deal he was offering was, was actually a, a, good, good, a deal. good deal. <laughs> well, and he was telling us, hey, you guys need to start advertising with a magazine and start selling rents to these hot rod builders. He's telling he goes, you guys need to get in the business. And you know, and at the time we were we we're just selling stuff to the local hot rodder, hot rod companies building hot rods. Word of mouth. You know, and it was like, hey, you need to you need to offer this stuff. And you know, so And, and he was a family friend for years, right? I mean He was after that. He was a you know, him and my dad would hang out, go do a bunch of stuff. Then he got he started an off road magazine, four uh four wheel drive and sport utility magazine. So they you know, he was a different guy. <laughs> if anybody ever knew who Tom McMullen was, he was different, you know. But my, he was, he liked to do stuff. And my dad liked to do stuff. And so That's they would, cool. they went to South America together. They went to Europe together. They did a bunch of off-roading together when he started the magazine. So they hung out together. He yeah, didn't his, like my mom at all because he <laughs> yeah. was really a. But, and his, his girlfriend slash wife slash partner spoke like five languages or oh, yeah. they could they could go anywhere in the world and she could communicate yeah. she's wow. spanish portuguese um you know i don't like japanese she spoke all kinds of languages that, that allowed them they could anywhere they went they had you know a communication huh. uh her name was deanna <laughs> so now did he so did that help evolution when he got into the off-road magazine well then? i mean you know we were, this was, you know, a small business at my parents' home, and we we placed an ad. We gave you know Tom McMullen a rear end, and we placed it was a three months of advertising in Street Rider magazine, and uh, the first deal was we had to build a rear end to take it down to their studio to photograph for a you know for a ad, you know, so we had to you know kind of design the ad. What what are we going to say? And didn't think nothing of it. I put my mom's phone number. Yo, was in the ad. <laughs> yeah, and our, our so, home phone, no our home way. phone number. So uh, we, we didn't. We didn't there, go. They were answering. The, <laughs> my mom would answer the phone. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, you'll have to call back. And, and, talk and it was to the so funny the because the you know we'd we'd be out in the garage working, and you know the garage was I don't know a hundred feet from the the house, and we had one of those the screen doors with a big spring on it. So when you open it up, <laughs> and she'd you know, John, somebody's calling from Tennessee. <laughs> you need to get on the phone and, and, and you know, what? <laughs> and, uh, you come in the office and, and, you know, talk to the guy and, you know, make a deal. And, and we you know, wrote down the order on pieces of paper that we chased around these little, yeah. little, uh, little invoice books that you got at the, at the Hallmark oh. store or whatever. Was that a way so you could remember how much you charge a person for rear end? <laughs> yeah, well, every deal was a new deal. <laughs> we didn't we didn't have there a was, price list. There was no there was no wholesale retail. It was you know, whatever you wanted. You know, we would 
you know, I, I think we had some wow. kind of price made up. That's so, yeah. But so then the, like, so which is very unique and that is a great story, but not like, but that's what I want to try to figure out. Like obviously go moving forward though, like, and, and, and owners in is to, to really figure out, like you guys went from hot rods and muscle cars to complete uh, a complete off road brand. Did it? Yeah. I, I think, you know, we went jeeping. Well, you know, we, we had at one point, you know, we all had Jeeps over the years. We, we, now we're married and we have kids and we have a Blazer and a Bronco too. And, and, you know, my little brother had a Toyota truck and, uh, somehow we got invited to come out to the Tierra del Sol event and we were going to take a rear end out there. You know, we had a, you know, a rear end on the pickup or the tailgate of a pickup truck. That was our display. And we, you know, I had a, a nine-inch rear end of my Blazer with a Detroit locker in it, with uh, twenty-eight-inch Mickey Thompsons on it. <laughs> yeah, the real off-road vehicle. <laughs> and we went out there, and I mean, kind of, you know, like up here, you know, you, you you think you were good until you go out and you got your ass kicked <laughs> by, you know, we we're high-centered everywhere, we we're stuck everywhere. And we had a end, good time. Though. At the end of the time, <laughs> at the end of the week, it was like I'm going home. I'm buying a Jeep uh, tomorrow, and uh, you know, you know, of course, I'd by that time I'd owned a couple of Jeeps previous to that, but you know, now, you know, so we're talking. That was what eighty four or eighty four or eighty five yeah. something. The like Jeep that. I bought, I mean, was it eighty one? So, I think my dad's was an eighty two. They were all in those ages. I remember yours was yeah. like a 78 or 79. Just 78 CJ7. We, we bought Jeeps and we just, we built them. I mean, but I, even, you know, I had had a, out of high school, I had a CJ2A. And then, you know, uh, I had uh, at least two different Broncos, you know, you know, that had, you know, because we were into Broncos for a while. You know, my dad had, my dad had a couple Broncos you know, we started out with like a Bronco with, with a manual transmission and no power steering. And then I remember he bought a 74 Bronco that had, you know, uh, air conditioning, power steering, you know, all the good Fully stuff. Loaded. Yeah, and he, he kind of <laughs> fixed it up, you know. And so, and we thought, you know, but back then our off-roading was we'd just go out in the desert and drive on dirt roads or uh, take a trip down to Baja driving dirt roads. We didn't really get into the 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 rock crawling in that part of it until my dad came with Tom McMullen to Moab. And my dad came back and told us, Hey, you guys, we well, went to Moab. What well, year? I, we need to, I got to say, I, we I'm gotta, not sure the year of that. 84. I think I think Tom McMullen had, he had just bought a brand new, I don't think it was 84. I think it was, I think it was, what was the first Jeep Tom had? Didn't he have like a 90, yeah. 89 YJ or YJ. something? What? He bought a, he got a brand new YJ when they first came out. I'm thinking it's 89. And and so we I think we'd put a rear end in it. Well, YJ, I, YJ came out in uh the last CJ was a 76 it would have been No, the last CJ was an 80 86. Or, or 86. So it would have so been, been 87. 87. So Tom McMullen bought so 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 dad came up here he had a a 74 Bronco with with uh Probably thirty-two inch, uh, tire. Arm, arm, uh, Armstrong. Uh, uh, what what they call that tire? True tracks. True tracks. Had thirty-two inch true tracks <laughs> with three fifty gears. And a, you know. And a th you know, three on the tree. And he you know, he found out he wasn't geared low enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they done. I believe they done. They would come back and tell us about Hell's Revenge and and Moab Rim and stuff and telling us, hey, you guys got to go. You, you got to come out here. It was awesome. We had a great time. They'd tell us all the stuff they did. And that that actually started with Tom McMullen dragging my dad to these different events. So Wow. It's, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's been since the 80s then. So, yeah. The, uh, no. <laughs> that, so that, and that's where, like, what I wanted to end this thing was, was just really the transition into rock chalk. And what I was trying to get at that was just basically the transition into off-road. And, and that's what it sounds like. But it's basically in the eighties yeah. is really the transition from the CJ to the YJ. So, yeah. So we all bought Jeeps. We all bought CJs. Uh, mine CJ mine came with the V8, but it had, it came with a 360. And I went out and found a 401 AMC and put it in there. And I, you know, I put big tires for the time. I think I put 32s on it. 
And uh, but you know, John built a big block. I had Chevy. an eighty-one, and I put yeah, um, but it can't it was a six six owner a manual. So I had a big block Chevy out of a boat I built. So I put that <laughs> in it with a Turbo 400 and the Dana 300 transfer case. And then when I did that, I did that conversion on the engine. Then I went back and rebuilt the Jeep again, painted it, and, and I actually put 35-inch tall tires on it, which at the time, those were big because everybody, everybody was running 33s at that time. So I'd, yeah. I'd modified the fenders a little bit, and we put 35s in this thing with a big block Chevy in it. And I had that Jeep for quite a few, I think until I bought a, a YJ down the road away. So huh, when that, the, the I had somebody here in Moab offered to buy that thing from me. I sold it. Yeah. I actually took him for a test drive here. In That's Moab. <laughs> we all had nine inch rims in our Jeeps. His Jeep had a nine inch front end. Yeah, and that, and, and that, that was, that was it right there. Yeah, that was, and that kind of started down this road of everything I built for that Jeep. I ended up making it a product. And it started out with the, you know, the nine inch rear end, the nine inch front end. And then we had, we were making the greasable shackles. We had a twin stick shifter for the Dana 300. We had replacement aluminum knobs for the dash because those early Jeeps, everything was cable operated. And when you pulled on the knob, they were plastic, they would pull off. So we, we would make these replacement aluminum knobs that you would break the, the plastic knobs with a pair of pliers and put the other ones on there with a set screw so in thousands of yes yeah, and we were so you're making all kinds of parts then yeah, we, yeah. We, yeah. It, it started us down that road but it all really started with we were making parts for the jeep that we owned you know yeah. like the like the tow shackle because we were flat to our jeeps because we didn't have trailers or motorhomes or anything at the time we had, you know, I had a Suburban I would flat tow mine with or whatever. I had a camper van. <laughs> and so so we made the tow shackles, and, you know, that just, everything kind of led from one thing to another. We did a steering gear brace. There was a bunch of small parts. And remember, the, the original thing was just a little bifold. So when a guy would buy a rent, we'd send him this bifold, of the parts we had for the with CJs. All the accessories. And they would come back and buy everything on there. And it was all, it was all cheap, Yeah, you know. Yeah, we had we didn't mark up anything. We just we would set a price on it. So we the it was a learning experience because we even had the owner of Fowell Parts tell us, "You guys, you sell everything too cheap. You can't, you we can't buy it from you and and mark it up and sell it. You got to raise your price so we can mark it down." So <laughs> that was actually uh, Greg's dad, George George Adler, told huh. us that. And this was this was probably back in the early late 80s i guess wow. yeah so well that and that is where i like for me that that is where i wanted to end it today is the basically the understanding of going from the cars to the jeeps but literally for for curry archives number one like it's just getting to to get these stories out there's there's so many people that ask so many questions about the family and the heritage and the legacy that obviously grandpa has created and now obviously myself my cousins my brother are, are involved with it I just want to share these stories. So obviously, for everyone out there listening, if you guys have comments or questions, let us know. Uh, this is literally number one. We want to do many, many more of these. So thank you guys for coming on, and, and thank you guys for both joining for uh, episode number one. Thanks for having us. Thank you.